Welcome to the Badass Breastfeeding Podcast. I'm Diane, your lactation consultant. And I'm Abby, the Badass Breastfeeder. And today's episode is brought to you by Sheila Darling Coaching. Sheila Darling is a social worker, certified hypnotherapist, and mindfulness meditation teacher who could be your start to a more peaceful life. And today's episode is also brought to you by Original Sprout. Original Sprout carries safe, effective, and pediatrician-tested shampoos, conditioners, styling, and body care products produced and packaged in California, USA. Um, And we'll hear more from our sponsors later, but these sponsors make this podcast possible. So if you could please head to badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com and check out our sponsor page if you need anything. Give them your business if you can. While you're there, scroll down and enter your email address and you'll get episodes sent straight into your inbox. Um, And now Diane has our review of the week. Yes. And our review of the week came from Gmail and it is from Shelby Lee. She said, I just had my first baby, Riley Elizabeth, nine weeks ago. My mom breastfed me and my siblings, and I knew I wanted to do the same. But I live nine hours away, and everything has changed in the last 25 years. Also, my mother was 120 pounds soaking wet, and I'm 260. I had the hardest time at the hospital with finding a lactation consultant that encouraged me to feed my child even with my large boobs. I had triple Ds before baby, and now once I'm engorged, they are huge. Everyone encouraged me to just switch to bottle feeding because I just didn't have the right body for breastfeeding. Everyone went to the cradle hold and I couldn't see my baby to make sure that A, she was latched right and B, she wasn't suffocating. Can we talk about techniques for plus size women who want to breastfeed? I'm so thankful for your podcast and have been binge listening while feeding and pumping on my way to work. I've had so many people tell me it's too hard and encourage me to formula feed. Even saying, I know you don't make a lot. Let the government feed your baby. First off, have you tried government cheese? I doubt the formula is much better. My biggest thing is to not let other people's comfort, opinion, and need for convenience destroy what I am setting out to give my child. Listening to your open canter and in-your-face responses has helped me find some confidence and guts to do what she needs. I was literally just at the ER with her for medical issues and walked through the hospital uncovered, feeding my child because she was so ill and needed to eat, but we were being rushed to the x-ray room. A nurse asked me if I needed a room to wait in. I told her I didn't need a room due to her comfort level. My child was comfortable getting this done as fast as possible and eating along the way. I'm not afraid of my breast. I'm not afraid to be a badass breastfeeder. Done with my rant. Thank you for being outspoken and having a path for us newbies. That is amazing. And I loved it. I like how, and so again, a situation where you can't win. So people are like, you have small boobs, you can't breastfeed because you don't have enough milk. Oh no, wait, your boobs are too big to breastfeed. You don't have enough milk. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have the perfect boobs. Yeah. Okay. Abby, didn't you know that? Breastfeeding. It's not sports illustrated. I know. It's ridiculous. Which is also dumb, but anyway. I know. Oh my God. I'm so glad that she is feeling the confidence. Yeah. Because good for her. And I wish I'd read this during the episode for Big Boobs. I hope you listen to it, Shelby Lee. It was like, what, a week ago or so? Diane meant to read it. She just forgot. I did. I need a secretary. (laughs) I don't remember anything. (laughs) I'm really bad about these things. (laughs) But yes, I meant to read it for that one. And I think it would have been perfect for that episode. So thank you so much for sending this in, for letting us know your journey send us your reviews your stories anything like that podcast ideas we'd love to hear it can reach out to us at badassbreastfeedingpodcast at gmail.com or you can put it on itunes and let's go with today yes today we have melissa morins she is here in person you all probably remember the article um that we talked about from nursing aversion at the beginning of the year but today she's here and she's talking all about her research and uh let's get to it welcome to the badass breastfeeding podcast uh melissa morns it is such a pleasure for you to be here and thank you so much for taking time out of your day down under hi i don't know if anybody yes everybody i don't know if anybody realizes they won't realize but you're in australia yes Thank you for having me. Which is like yes, a, and I'm in Australia, yeah. Brisbane, Australia. That's really cool to us up here because that just seems very like exotic. <laughs> <laughs> um, we uh, are here talking about nursing aversion, and we, it, you guys, might remember that I that we did an episode a few months ago where we talked about Melissa's research 
paper that her and her colleagues published about nursing aversion. And it was, uh, the, the episode is linked in a, in the show notes of this episode. So you can head right there. If you want to listen to that, it was a really fantastic paper that we talked about in detail, um, really about what nursing aversion is and what's, um, what people were reporting were their experiences. And I just remember reading it and it was just, I could just feel it in my body. I could just feel the whole paper and all the things that people were saying. It was just really very moving. Yeah. So we appreciate, I appreciate your work so much. And maybe can you, do you want to start with maybe a little brief introduction about you, who you are? And then I think we're going to get into your story and how you really came to, to be uh, really like a leading voice in the world of nursing aversion. Yeah. So, um, right now I have a master's in public health and right now I'm doing a PhD on women or people who experience feelings of aversion while breastfeeding, um, at the university of technology, Sydney. And I have three supervisors. Um, one of my supervisors, Dr. Amy Steele has a PhD in public health um, another one, Dr. Erica McIntyre, has a PhD in psychology. And I have another supervisor from an, a different university, Western Sydney University, Dr. Elaine Burns, who has a PhD in midwifery. So we have that broad um, skill set in the team. That's excellent. That's very helpful in getting kind of a well-rounded uh, perspective on this. Yeah. Yeah, I feel really grateful. I, they're just the best, most awesome supervisors. So I really lucked out with those guys. <laughs> <laughs> and and so how did you um how did you get to and so you're a, you're a a do are you a doctoral candidate? Is that I'm, yeah I'm yeah? Sorry. So I'm a doctoral candidate yeah, okay. um, in public health. That's my area, public health. Okay. Yeah. And you are focusing on, are you focusing on nursing aversion in your research? Yeah. So that's actually a big question because um, we yeah. know that there are, there is this, there are negative experiences that some people have when they're breastfeeding. And we know about dysphoric milk ejection reflex and people like Kathy Kendall Tackett mm. have done heaps of work on people with a history of assault and the effect that that can have when you're breast, you know, trying to breastfeed. Um, but then there's this other type of feelings of aversion that's just not in the literature at all. And a lot of that is around the tandem breastfeeding and breastfeeding while you're pregnant, breastfeeding when your period returns. And um, I, because there's really not very much out there at all, we're having to sort of cast the net. Well, we did have to cast the net pretty wide for that first paper, the one that you um, already did a podcast mm -hmm. on, and we sort of grouped them all in there. But as we go forward with the research, I am planning on drilling down into those different types of aversion because they do really present differently and they because they present differently and they're, they're coming from different causes the way that we deal with those and the way that we give support to people who are experiencing that, it needs to be tailored specifically for those different kinds of aversion. So that is something that we're trying to do right now. We're trying to drill down and just piece it apart. Like what are these different types and then what does that mean? And um, the people that experience that, like what are they doing to, to help and how are they getting through that and can we recreate those things and teach other people to do those things so yeah it's pretty big it's a pretty massive um subject to delve into and we are just at the beginning we're at the beginning of it right now yeah it's it's fascinating for me to think and I feel like I'm going about to go on a tangent and maybe I shouldn't um but it's fascinating for me to think about my own tandem nursing experience when I had Exley in 2014 and kind of posting about it on Facebook. And that's when you got in touch yeah. with me, like through Facebook Messenger and was like, hey, I have this group and I, you know, we, we're doing a lot of work on this. And, and so maybe we'll, we'll use this as a segue. Do you, how much, what's your, you have a story too, right? I mean, this is, this isn't, your personal experiences has brought you here to this research. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I actually have, I have four kids. I have an, a bigger kid and then three little, the three little ones. <laughs> and so when I 
and I, I have been very um, lucky to be able to have them all naturally and um, I'm all about the co-sleeping and attachment parenting and all of that. So I was, and when I, I breastfed my first, uh, my first one who's now an adult, um, it was really hard at first. It was really difficult. My first breastfeeding experience, I had like really bad nipple um, I don't know if this is too much information, but really bad nipple damage. No, not for this podcast. <laughs> no such thing okay. as too much information. Okay, well, how about, oh, all right. Well, um, my partner now, like, thought that one of my nipples was deformed because part of one of them came off when I was breastfeeding my first one and it never grew back. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I know it was bad. It was, like, really full on so yeah for those Wait, of you part out of it there came that have off? permanent nipple damage we see you <laughs> but, and this was from and what was the what's the story behind that oh just like really bad latch issues I think maybe at the beginning I don't know but the, oh the vis- home visit midwife it was, I had like bleeding and cracking for about six weeks which they said was too long oh. and they were yeah but you know I was so stubborn I was determined but anyway I breastfed him till he was about 18 months old and fell pregnant again and then the doctors told me then that I had to wean him because I was pregnant. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I was young and I just thought, I don't know, I guess this is what, what I have to do. So I weaned him. But then I I miscarried. I lost that baby when uh, about mm. four months in. And by that stage, I'd already weaned my toddler at the time. So anyway, fast forward to me having... Uh, the little three. And so when I had them close together and I was told when I was pregnant with the first one, my 10-year-old, to wean when I fell pregnant with my now eight-year-old, I was older and knew a bit better by then and was like, no, 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 I don't have to do that. (laughs) I know I don't have to wean. (laughs) And so um, I planned to tandem breastfeed. And so I breastfed all the way through my pregnancy and um, no one mentioned anything about aversion. No one, um, there was no, like I didn't really see any talk of that. And then for me, the aversion kicked in after I started tandem breastfeeding and was particularly bad if I had them both on at the same time. And so oh, mm-hmm. um, we also have, so we have the tandem, we have the aversion support group, but we also have some tandem breastfeeding support groups and we've got um, regional tandem breastfeeding support groups as well. And I went into the main tandem group and, and just said, is anybody else experiencing this? And um, there were just a few, just a handful of other people who were having the same experience. And so we started the aversion group and there was like four or five of us. It was really small. And um and yeah, we just kind of muddled, muddled our way through, but it was really difficult for me. Like I still talk about experiencing aversion as just one of the most difficult things I've ever experienced in my life. And, um, I think, you know, there's, there's feeling touched out and, you know, people talk about pain and I I had that with my first one. I had a lot of breastfeeding pain with my first one and there's, there's being touched out and there's, um, you know, those other experiences, but this is not just being irritated. This is like, uh, the feeling of that, that type of aversion is well, we've found from the interviews that we're doing that women often use the word throw, like throw mm-hmm. the baby. Like it's a really primal, very strong, full body heebie jeebies feeling that is, um, you know, with touched out, it's kind of you're touched out and you're that's kind of directed at the child. But with a with this kind of tandem and, and pregnant aversion, it's within you, it's in your own body. And for me, that was the hardest part of it is that I felt like just not having control of the inside of my own body was the part that bothered me the most about it. Um, that loss of internal control. And yeah, we're finding that as well with the research that these um these stories sort of come up again and again. But um yeah that group has grown a lot bigger now and we put a lot of files in the group to help people um sorry what were you gonna say no that is such an interesting perspective that I haven't I haven't exactly heard before You, you I haven't heard somebody put it that way before that it's you know that it's in it's like this out of control thing it's inside of you and it's working against you because you know they're also what's inside of you is like breast milk (laughs) you know and your like desire to 
to nurture your child. And then you have this exact opposite out of control desire in your body. Yeah. And it's like these two completely conflicting things happening within you. Yeah, absolutely. And for a lot of the... It's so completely demoralizing. Yeah, yeah. And for a lot of the tandem moms that experience aversion, you know, these are people that have breastfed for a while. Like they're breastfeeding a toddler. They've breastfed through all kinds of breastfeeding difficulties and overcome those difficulties. Many of them mm-hmm. are attachment parent parents. You know, they're sleeping mm-hmm. with their baby tucked under their arm and have been for years. and. Um, for parents with that kind of perspective to then get aversion. Like for me, when I experienced aversion and there was just that tiny little group um, and the only thing that I had ever found on it or that I could find was Hillary had a little bit in her book, Hillary Flower, Adventures in Tandem mm-hmm, Breastfeeding. She's mm-hmm. expanded that now with their second edition. She's got some more stuff in there about aversion and um, it's awesome. It's an awesome book. Um but yeah, that was that was the only thing that I had found, and that's what gave me the impetus to start that little first group. Was that little bit in Hillary's original um, book, and um, and at the time it was just chaotic for me. Like I wasn't able to continue nursing my toddler. Um, it was just like chaos. She's a really sensitive little person as well, and you know, Mm -hmm. she would be crying and I was crying. My partner was back at work and I was home alone. And, um, it was really, really hard. It was a really difficult, um, season. And the way that we ended up, um, like going through that was I started pumping for her and I had never pumped before. I started pumping breast milk just for her. So my newborn wasn't getting any pumped milk, just my toddler. And, um, we, we were giving her that at night time so that her so that her dad could sort of be with her in the evening and you know we used to just read stories to her, to her until she passed out basically to just get through that night time <laughs> yeah. thing and she was just yep. staying up a bit later but we were like oh well this is just what's going to have to happen for now and during the day i would pop her and my little guy in a pram in like a double pram and cuz she used to mm. love going for walks and so i would pop them in a pram and I'd give her these little ice. That stroller for all the Americans. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I would give her an icy, which she loved, and off we'd go. And I would just walk until she fell asleep for that day nap. Uh-huh. Past the shop that had Ben and Jerry's because that was one of my coping mechanisms. <laughs> I ate so much Ben and Jerry's. Um, and, and, yeah, that's just how we got through it. But, like, your, your stuff on boundaries, Abby, is so awesome. Like, I shared your... Um, that boundaries podcast in the aversion group last week. And I, I mm. kind of wish I'd really known that then. Like I wish I'd, I'd had yeah, that advice right. when I was going through it because I think. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we do it. Hey, that's why we do this stuff so that other people right. can have that, that the, the things that we really need yeah. at the time. But also um, like health professionals. I mean, a lot of people, there are a lot of people that, um, don't find the group or they don't, you know, they Google it. They don't really find, or they don't even Google it. They just go to their GP. They go to their GP and they say, I'm having this experience. And, um, that's really my, with the research, that's where I'm trying to hit with the research. I'm trying to get lactation consultants, midwives, GPs, just health professionals. So that people that go, that's their first port of call, um, to go and talk to their, you know, their lactation consultant or midwife, they will have heard of it because like I work with a lot of midwives now and still now it's amazing how few people have heard of this. And whenever I speak about this to a group of lactation consultants and midwives, they're fascinated. Like they want to know, they want to help. But it's just until it's in the literature and I mean, I'll, you know, I'll continue to try to talk at like, you know, health professional seminars and stuff and try to keep getting the word out. And there is actually another researcher. I don't, you might not have heard of her yet, Abby. Her name's Charlie Middleton and she's in Scotland Mm. and she's just starting Mm -hmm. up doing research, a PhD on this as well. So thank goodness there are more people getting on board and yeah. Um, I think her focus is a little bit more on DEMA. I think that's where she sort of came to it. Okay. Um, but that's awesome. It's so great that, yeah that it's, it's, I know we need so many people on this. And I think here in the United States, we have, we have, 
you know, the, the practitioners here, you know, they don't hear about it and they're just like, well, just wean. Yeah. You know, if it's that bad and you're not enjoying it, then just wean. That's always the answer. Yeah. Is just wean, just use formula. It's no big deal. And it's, and it's, it's not a big deal in that if that's what you need to do and that's what you want to do, then definitely do that. But it is a big deal in the, in the sense that that's not what people want. That's not what I wanted. Yeah. I don't, that's not what you wanted. No. You know, people want, that's the problem. Mm. Therein lies the problem, right? Is that you want to continue nursing. Yeah. You want to continue with this relationship. And, and it's like, there's this invisible force working against you that you don't know its name. You don't know what it wants. You know, you don't know, you don't know what's happening. Yeah. But, but then people just, and then you're like, I need help with this. I need help. And people are like, well, just wean. Mm. I don't know. That's not a thing. It's not a thing. It's just, it's just because it's a toddler and your toddler is supposed to just not be nursing anymore. That's just a sign. It's a sign. This is what, the, mm. this is what they say. It's a sign that it's time for you to stop nursing. Yeah. Yeah. And people hear it from well, their partners and they hear it from their family yeah. and friends. It's not just um, doctors. Like people hear that it's ubiquitous. Right. They go into breastfeeding support groups and hear that. Mm. And you know, you can't just say that to a mum who sleeps with her baby Mm-mm. tucked in her armpit and has to right, look into yeah. those little eyes when they want to breastfeed. Like you can't just say just stop. It just doesn't, it just shows a lack of understanding of what's actually going on there for that. Well, it does. And it's, yeah, and it's this idea that breastfeeding is disposable, right? Because we wouldn't say that about anything yeah. else. Anything else that is, is problematic and that that we're struggling with, it's like, okay, you know, here's what we're going to do. Here's our intervention. You know, we're like, we love it. Inter- it's in America. We love interventions. Like, let's get all the interventions going here. Yeah. But with breastfeeding and, you know, this kind of thing, it's just like, it's disposable, whatever, you know, just, just wean. It's no big deal. And it's just, it's so frustrating because, you know, there, there's no, and there's, and there's no motivation you know, to, to learn about it. it's just like, well, it's just all these women who are complaining about how hard it is. And so if it's so hard, then why don't they just stop? And, you know, something that's come through in the interviews is that the people that were able to continue or at least end their breastfeeding journey in a way that they felt okay with, um, for themselves and, and really importantly for their, their little one, like if they feel okay with how it ended or they were able to continue and, and, and have it end when they felt like they were ready or their little one was ready, um, it's psychologically so much better for the, for the mother, for the parent, um, mm-hmm. if, if they're able to just find an ending to that in a way that they felt like they were in some way in control of. Um, even if they still look back on a version and say it's one of the worst things that they've ever experienced, even if they say Mm, that, mm -hmm. just if they can come away with a narrative, with a story about how it ended, how the weaning happened or how it ended, it just has this huge impact. And it's not just, see, this is something I'm writing into an article right now that I'm about to publish, but um, there is so much focus on with breastfeeding from the health community about getting breastfeeding right. It's about latch. It's about supply. It's about all of these things. And there isn't a lot of focus on breastfeeding actually being a relationship. It's a relation. It's a relationship yeah. between um, the mother and the infant, or the the parent and the infant, and um, and that's a complex thing. It's complicated, and it's a two way thing as well. The parent gets a lot from breastfeeding as well. And we don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. Like we don't, it's not something that we, that's just commonly in the narrative about breastfeeding. It's all about what's the baby getting from it. And I actually said a curiosity. I went into one of the groups the other day and I said, I'm not one of our groups, just a, a different group and just said, hey, what do you think the parent gets out of breastfeeding when they breastfeed? And a lot of people were like, oh, lower cancer rates and, um, a lot of those physical things. And I was like, what about the emotional yeah. part? Like, and some, and then some started saying nurturing and love. And it's just, it's, it's really intriguing to me philosophically that we haven't really looked into this properly, that it's a, it's so complex breastfeeding. It's not just about supply and latch. It's not just about nutrients for the baby. There's so much more going on there and it's a relationship that, yeah, <laughs> 
Yeah. And that's what we always say. It's so much more than food. Yeah. Right. Breast milk, breastfeeding is so much more than food because it's not just, you're right. It's like we focus on, well, if you know, if it doesn't work out, it's no big deal. You just switch the breast milk for formula. Mm. Okay. But that's not what it's really, that's not everything it's about. You know, there is anyway, everything you were just saying, there's so much more going on. Yeah. And I have actually that we don't take into consideration. Yeah, sorry. And they have actually done research around when people who want to breastfeed have to stop before they're ready, it caught that causes um higher levels of anxiety and depression and, you know, poorer mental health outcomes. So we know that for those that want to breastfeed and can't, this it's not yeah, we know that. And we also know that those that are trying to breastfeed and having problems, not just aversion, but problems in general, don't feel like they're getting enough support. So Right, right. Yeah. And we'll be right back with Melissa Morns and talking about nursing aversion after a word from our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Sheila Darling Coaching. The transition to parenthood can be intense. Feelings of anxiety, depression, are actually quite common. Your feelings should not be ignored. You deserve space where you can process this transition and all of the emotional and psychological changes that come with it. You may hear people telling you to just enjoy it or it all goes by so fast. These statements are dismissive of the changes we go through when we have a new baby. Transitioning to a new family member isn't always the peaceful journey we see on TV. Sheila Darling Coaching can be that professional support person that Diane and I are always saying there is no shame in getting. Sheila Darling is a social worker, certified hypnotherapist, and mindfulness meditation teacher, and could be your start to a more peaceful life. Head to SheilaDarling.com to schedule your consultation today and mention the Badass Breastfeeding Podcast when you're scheduling that consultation and receive 10% off a coaching package. Today's episode is also brought to you by Original Sprout. Original Sprout carries safe, effective, and pediatrician-tested shampoos, conditioners, styling, and body care products produced and packaged in California, USA. Their hair and body, their hair and body baby wash is made with gentle moisturizing ingredients such as organic calendula and refreshing rosemary extract. Rosemary helps stimulate scalp circulation and calm cradle cap and eczema. The hair and body baby wash is ideal for babies, children, and adults alike. All of Original Sprouts products are paraben and phthalate-free, vegan and cruelty-free. Their prepared proprietary formulas contain nourishing extracts from fruits, vegetables, and flowers that the whole family can enjoy. They are not just for babies anymore. Check out the entire line at OriginalSprout.com and use code BADASS for 25% off of your order. Uh, all these sponsors and their codes can be found in our show notes under this episode on badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com. Our show notes also include further information about things we talk about in this episode. And at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com, you'll also find our breastfeeding resources, all of our other episodes, and information about scheduling your very own one-on-one online lactation consultation with Diane. And this week's shout out goes to Voices for Birth Justice. We are moms and advocates united for birth justice in the black and brown communities. Um, you can find them on Instagram at Voices for Birth Justice, and you can find them also at their website at voicesforbirthjustice.org, where you can find all kinds of information about, um, you know, babies in the black and brown communities that are being born too small and too soon. Um, and I hope we all know now that this is linked to the racist systems in this country. And these are advocates um, to fight for equality and birth justice. And you can find on their website amazing stories, birth stories, um, and a, um, a gallery of their storytellers. And check them out. Voices for Birth Justice. So it's voices and then the number four birth justice on Instagram. And now we will head back to our conversation with Melissa Morns. So you were talking about, you were talking about the different type, like kind of getting down the different types of aversion. And so the different types, like when you say different types, do you, are you, do you, do you mean like the, the DMER, yeah. the dysphoric milk ejection reflex? Yeah. 
the um, people who have suffered like sexual trauma, mm-hmm. kind of having that as its own group because they share those that experience, which is their ex- negative experiences breastfeeding are directly related to that. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah. Go on. And yeah. then, so there's also um, uh, people in the non-binary and trans community also mm-hmm. experience um, chest feeding aversion, which mm-hmm. we haven't looked at yet, but may, you know, there could be things there to do with body dysphoria or like the, you know, that could be another whole other um, area to be researched. Um, we're also, we haven't looked at all at people with sensory issues. Um, that's another oh, thing that, yes. that could be considered. Um, we are taking a look now at tandem breastfeeding, breastfeeding while pregnant and breastfeeding when uh, your period returns. So that the hormone um, type of aversion and also that tandem and pregnant um, aversion. And the thing that we're finding is that, and I'm sure there's probably more types out there that we haven't thought of or, or uncovered mm-hmm. yet, um, but we are finding that they present differently. So the way that um, the person experiences these things is different. So like with women with a history or people with a history of assault um, and those that experience dysphoric milk ejection reflex, they'll have that experience straight away from the first time they breastfeed with every child. Mm. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, whereas tandem breastfeeding aversion comes on often after the people that experience that experience it often after they've had a previously really good breastfeeding experience. Yeah. Just out of nowhere. So, um, and there are other differences. There are other differences between the different types of aversion. And so, um, yeah, it's like to, to just piece out what's actually going on, on there and, and uncover the underlying causes will help us to be more specific about recommendations and support and what we tell health professionals. Um, yeah, the, the recommendations will be different depending on the type of aversion. So um, I really think your boundaries, your stuff on boundaries, I think is important for anyone that breastfeeds, not just people that have aversions. That's that's just so key. I think that's true. I mean, that's, that's the biggest, that was the biggest thing for me to be able to make it through was, you know, to, and even if you're not experiencing, uh, that's what you said, even if you're not experiencing this, you know, just being able to have some control over, it really just gives you control, you know, because everything feels so out of control, especially when you start feeling, you know, aversions or whatever when you're breastfeeding. And then toddler, <laughs> toddlers are just like, they don't care. They have no boundaries. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what, and I also think it's so great that like, that's another way of teaching them boundaries. It's like, you're getting boundaries out of it, but you're also teaching them, you know, how to respect people's boundaries, which they, you know, they don't get right away, but it's a foundation. Yeah. Yeah. And that tandem breastfeeding thing, after they've had to deal with the milk supply going down through pregnancy, then when they get all that milk, it's like Christmas for them. It's like breast milk Christmas. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. They're like, what do you mean? This is like, it's finally here. <laughs> of course I can have free and open access to it. Yeah. Um, but I would like to know, so you were talking about how, how, you know, being able to, to isolate these types of aversion will help kind of figure out what's going on there and make recommendations. But so, okay, so I know it's early, but do you have any leads? (laughs) Like, is there any idea right now? What is happening? How is it happening? What is happening? What was happening to me? What was happening inside my body that like was so, how does that happen? There's such an extreme reaction and feeling to something. Do we have any idea of like, what is going on? I mean, I know I, you know, I hear about hormones. Yeah. You know which is makes sense. Yeah. So, um, okay. So with DEMA, they think that that is something to do with dopamine, although that needs more research. 
Um, with people mm. that have a history of abuse, then obviously it's the history of abuse that's triggering those um, dissociation and, and those feelings. Um, with tandem and pregnant aversion, we're not sure, but there is a theory out there that it could possibly be there could be an instinct kicking in there somewhere. And when you speak to people that have experienced that type of aversion, they describe it in that way. The people that I've interviewed, um, I've done in-depth interviews with a bunch of tandem um, people who experience that kind of aversion, and they they talk about it as in this way that sounds primal. So we also need to investigate that further. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I am looking into that a bit more, the evolutionary psychology behind that, evolutionary biology um, aspect of mm-hmm. that type of aversion. But we're still, yeah, like you, like you just mentioned, we're still sort of at the beginning of that um, journey. And which other types have I left out? Um, oh, well, I think you covered them. Oh, I? I mean, you've covered all the ones that we talked about today. Yeah. Um, and that's so interesting to me that these that these types have such different origins or causes, um, and yet the feeling is so similar. You know, I know with DMAR, it's like it's that's different. It's from you know, and you were saying with the history of sexual assault, it's from you know from the get go, and so the onset is maybe different. But when we're explaining, you know, this extreme feeling, it's very similar. Is it not? It is in that it's a negative feeling and sensation while you're breastfeeding. Um, I, I just remembered the other type that I left out that we kind of know about, and that's when people get it around the oh. time of ovulation and menstruation. Oh, and yeah. we think that that has something to do with your, well, prolactin is um, mm. a hormone that just has an effect on your entire body, but it has an effect through the hypothalamus 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 pituitary prolactin axis so that's another thing that we also need to investigate um sorry what what was the last thing that you said and I was going to answer that as well um the causes the causes oh, and yeah, the... right if it feels similar if the different types oh more, yeah right yeah, right yeah. the feelings of similar yeah, yeah. um so from what we can um, see from the way that people talk about it in the research that we're doing is it, it feels kind of different. So depending on the type that you're getting. So people that experience DEMA, they talk about it in this very black cloud comes over your head and they feel depressed. That's they true. use the word homesick in, a, in the pit of your stomach and then it passes, it lifts after the letdown reflex. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Those who have a history of childhood sexual assault, talk about triggered trauma memories. So they start having flashbacks, they have dissociation. Um, and so, yeah, they, they, they have that experience. Um, people with tandem talk, use the word throw a lot. That word <laughs> throw comes up over and over mm-hmm. again. <laughs> I know. I don't mean to laugh. It's not funny, but I know what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. That particular thing, I know exactly how that yeah. feels. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, it's they're, they're similar in that it's an you know it's a negative experience that you're having while you're attempting to breastfeed, but when you start to sort of piece it out, they feel different. the The way that they present is different. The underlying cause is mm-hmm. different, and so we probably need a nuanced approach to the way that we um, support these populations from a healthcare perspective, you know. Right, right. And I know specifically for this episode or for, you know, what I talk about, because we do have, you know, we talk about um, the dysphoric milk ejection reflex. We talk about that kind of separately as its own you know, kind of as, as its own thing. Yeah. I've actually never really put that under the umbrella of nursing aversion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, I think maybe because there's more written about it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why and it kind of has its own title. Yeah, totally. They've got their own Wikipedia page. Like go, go right. those guys. <laughs> that man, that's when you know you made it. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. They, so, yeah. So I kind of take them out of that. I mean, my heart goes out to everyone experiencing that, but I mean, for this particular conversation, um, for me, my understanding of what 
most people associate when they're talking about nursing aversion is when it sets in on on um, pregnancy and through the tandem nursing and um maybe like around ovulation and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how I came to the research and what my my research proposal was just that. Um, but then yeah. when we went and had a look at me publishing that first um, meta-ethnography about what's out there right now, there was so little out there that um, my supervisors just said, look, we've got to kind of start at the beginning here. We need to just say that, yeah. you know, people that are breastfeeding are having these, are having negative sensations when they're, they're breastfeeding and they want to breastfeed, they're able to breastfeed. So, you know, the latch and the spike, all that stuff's working, but they're having these negative sensations and feelings that are coming up and yeah. And so, yeah, my heart is really in, researching going down that um that tandem and pregnant um and hormone going down that pathway of that aversion that I experienced personally Um, and that you know that's what brought me to it but um just for the point of getting the the word out there in the literature we're having to kind of cast it a bit wide so um so we've published the meta-ethnography I've done interviews, I've done a bunch of in-depth interviews and I'm writing up articles right now from those that just talk about the experience and, and how it feels and the effects that it that this experience has on um, the relationship between the parent and the infant and the relationship between the person experiencing aversion and family members and just themselves, their relationship with themselves, um, their idea of like parenting and breastfeeding and yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's complex. Um, and it has, it does have a big effect on, it's not just about that relationship with the breastfeeding, um, child. It, it also, this also impacts on relationships with partners and, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. And then, so we also have a survey that's live at the moment and that, survey information combined with the interviews will give us a mixed methods um, analysis that that will help us to piece out those different types and write specifically to those different types of negative experiences that people have when they're breastfeeding. And, um, you know, going forward, I'm hoping to run a trial. Um, We found that from the main um, nursing aversion group that I wrote a little, because my undergrad degree is naturopathy. I'm a naturopath with a master's in public health nutrition. So years ago I wrote um, a file in one of the groups just saying these are different things that you can take for nutrition that help people for their mental health and just general well-being, but specifically for mental health. And I thought, you know, that can't hurt. <laughs> That's only going to help. So um, I just put a couple of recommendations in that file that I knew were safe for people that were pregnant or breastfeeding. And we just found from the group anecdotally that a lot of people felt like magnesium seemed to really help them. It was just one of the things on the list of like five things. I still actually think people should try to take all of those things, but um, from the group, mm. yeah, from the group, people really started saying that they noticed if they stopped taking the magnesium, they would. that's the one that they could feel. And it's just kind of grown uh, like like a life of its own the magnesium thing now I see it all over the place people saying if you're having um breastfeeding negative breastfeeding um issues try taking magnesium so I'd really like to run a trial on that after I finish this um hopefully I'll have this wrapped up by the end of this year and then maybe run a trial on magnesium and like let's find out you know what type of magnesium and what's the dose and who's it helping um and see if we can move forward with that. I'd also like to further investigate that evolutionary psychology stuff, evolutionary biology stuff, and look into mm-hmm. that whole instinct thing because it it is um, there. Of course, there are hormones and neuroendocrine chemicals that happen underneath these experiences, and so these are things that we can measure. We can test those things. So. Um, yeah, did I I did I got really nerdy then, didn't I? Did I trail off? 
No, I'm eating it up. I love it. This is great. No, I want to hear more. I mean, so I'm thinking like this. So you mentioned the survey. Can people can let, we'll we'll put the link to that. And if you're experiencing nursing aversion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Join the join the study. Yeah, Thank you Um, to get because that will help. Yeah. To get ethics approval. Um, it's a bit tricky to run a survey. It, it was considered um, like a higher risk, ethically a higher risk survey because people are talking about stuff that's quite, you know, that can be a, a bit emotional. And so on every page mm-hmm. of the survey at the bottom, we have um, numbers that people can contact if they feel like okay. it stirs stuff up for them. In Australia, we have the Australian Breastfeeding Association who have a 24-7 hotline that you can call that is manned by um, mums or parents, breastfeeding parents, and they're volunteers, and it's an amazing service. And that is incredible. It's so awesome. It's so awesome. They get government funding as they should. Can we get the international number for that? So (laughs) they're amazing. We might need to be calling another country. (laughs) Yeah, they're so amazing. Um, They're supporting the the research. Actually, they've shared it in Australia. They've shared the survey about, which I I felt honoured that they were um, getting behind this research. That's awesome as well. so yeah, it's just for Aussies right now, but we are going. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, and people who are currently experiencing aversion, because right. we have validated mm-hmm. instruments in that survey that only work if it's for an experience you're having right now. They don't the 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 tools mm-hmm. in the survey don't work if you're thinking about it retrospectively. But um, mm-hmm. once we get this, this is sort of preliminary stuff. Once we get this one out the way, it lays the groundwork then for us to do bigger international studies and include right um yeah just include more people so well and the international community will certainly benefit from the yeah from the research itself yeah you know the findings and whatever you write up yeah I tried really hard to do the international study actually and and my supervisors were like no (laughs) you need to just yeah (laughs) one step at a time yeah yeah what um but the Facebook group is for everyone. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we've got some yeah, great that's files. That's a great, fantastic group. Yeah, yeah. And the, yes, uh, and so yeah. yeah, we'll put the link. That link is in the show notes for that too, if you want to join that group. And the yeah, so tell us about the files in there that people can access. Yeah, so um, you you've been linking to that group for a while, Abby. You um did a couple of blog posts in like 2014 yeah. and and linked to the group. And I think back then, I think you know we didn't have a huge amount of people in the group. And I think a lot of people found us through your blog. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, and, I mean, there is a lot more information, just general information out there now um, for people. Like your blog post, I think, was really good. Like even back then, like you were saying, um, stay hydrated and look after you. Just those self-care tips I think are really important as well. Um, your stuff on boundaries is really important. Um, but yeah, the files in the group are just like that old nutrition file. <laughs> um, and then there's tips for, and in the tandem breastfeeding group as well, we've got, I've, I wrote one that, that is just called what I wish I knew when I started tandem breastfeeding. And it just talks about like the toddler breastfeeding more than the newborn and setting boundaries. And, um, there are some personal stories in the aversion group, which I think can be really helpful because, a lot of people when they first join the group just feel so much guilt and shame and so alone. And then just to go and read some other people, some stories about how people navigated their way through it. And um, a lot of people end up having a happy ending. I think that's something that I really like to try to say to people is that, you know, if you can find a way to just, find an end to that relate that breastfeeding relationship that you can live with that isn't going to cause you too much guilt and shame going forward that's so important it's so important putting energy into that just trying to find an end to it that yeah that's okay for you and that you think is okay for your little one like that it's just so important I'm, I think that's true. And and I, that was one of the things that stood out, you know, from that paper that we talked about, you know, a few months ago was that, yeah, that was the, that was that people didn't regret it. Yeah. You know, yeah. people didn't regret it. They were happy that they made it that far and that they were able to find these ways to, you know, to have that happy ending. And I know that's how it was for me too. I mean, I don't, 
I look back at that time as so difficult, but yeah. you know, I pushed through until I felt like, okay, well, actually I pushed through until they just decided to stop. Um, and so, you know, but with, you know, a lot of work around, you know, especially the boundaries, which allowed me to get that far and allowed me to, to, to let them self wean, which is what I wanted. Yeah. And so, so a lot of work went into it in order to reach that goal. But then that was the thing that I, you know, that I could live with. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted, you know, you go and you think, well, I'm just gonna, you know, they're just gonna nurse all the time I'm just gonna you know it's fine we'll just nurse all the time and then you get to the when you're experiencing nursing aversion that's just not possible you can't you know it's just this your body's just telling you no yeah and so trying to trying to it's like trying to negotiate with your body like okay can you handle you know twice a day and at bedtime you know you're you're going through this whole negotiation process of like what can what can we handle um in order to get to that place that everyone can live with. Yeah. And then, yeah, that internal conflict is brutal. Yeah. Yeah. My um, last one, my youngest, I breastfed him till he was done on his own. He was four and a half and um, co-slept with him and just had this really like no drama breastfeeding relationship to just finish it off on and, um, yeah. it was so nice. It was so just joyous to have that as the last, just for me, as my last experience, just to have that and have him wean when he was ready. And, um, yeah, that was really healing for me to have that at the end. And I think that's another, um, yeah, key difference between some of the different types of aversion is that like, I didn't experience any at all with that, that last one. So and a lot of tandem. That's really interesting. Yeah, a lot of tandem um, parents say that. Yeah, they say that they then they'll have other they'll have another one and experience no aversion at all. Well, some people get it around their period. Uh-huh. But I was really lucky. I didn't personally. I didn't have that. So yeah, I just really lucked out with that last one, and was able to just have that really healing experience. That's something else that um, people with a history of childhood sexual assault say when they are able Mm -hmm. to continue, that just to see their body in that really positive way and that their body was used in this amazing way to nurture their baby and it can be very healing. Absolutely. I actually have an admin at the Badass Breastfeeder who has a history of sexual assault. And she's written a lot of guest blog posts about that. And she does write about that. She writes about how, you know, it was kind of just coming to terms with her body and how, you know, through this relationship with her children, how she was able to kind of take ownership of her body again and feel empowered in that way. And it's, I mean, what an incredible thing to go through, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I can see, you know, I can see how that would, how that would work that way. I don't have any experience with that, but she does share that. And we can, and since I'm mentioning it, put that in the show notes too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's helpful for everyone to check out. All- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's helpful. I think this is all, I, I want to put all of this in the aversion group. <laughs> I think it's all yeah, yeah, totally. Really helpful. What do what what have you heard else that people cuz you're saying these, you know, people talk a lot about magnesium. Is there anything else that people really say like this is really You know, because and for me it was like the more tired I was, the worse it was. But like you know, it's kind of like you know, when somebody tells you, well, make sure you're getting enough sleep. It's just like, I just feel like punching those people. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, like, like I, like I'm choosing to not get enough sleep with my new baby. Yeah. And a lot of people, are you know, like you don't have control. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I don't, you know, people have very little control over that, especially, you know, with kids. So what else do people say? Have people said anything else? Like that have you heard from talking to so many people, things that work for them? Um, Oh yeah. A lot of people in the moment, like just to get through the actual sensation, 
talk about distracting themselves with whatever they can use. So um, looking at their phone, watching the TV, talking to somebody. One of the participants that I interviewed actually said it really helped just having someone else in the room, just having a conversation with someone Mm. was distracting Mm -hmm. enough. Um, So, yeah, the distraction thing is pretty big. Distraction, boundaries, looking after yourself, um, support yeah. is really key. And however you find that, it's so fundamentally important. Um, so some people are lucky enough to have a partner that's really helpful, but that's not always the case. And no. quite a few of my um, the people that I interviewed said that their partner didn't understand and you know, in a sense was sort of compounding the, the. Exactly. They can totally make it worse. Yeah. So, um, but finding that support in any way that you can, even that peer to peer online support, just knowing that there's somebody else out there that's having a similar experience because a lot of people, there is a lot of self-blame We've I've had people come talk about in the interviews, talk about how they were angry they would they would be in the moment angry at themselves for having that experience Mm -hmm. and um like I just want to say to everybody that's experienced this that it's not your fault it's not your fault you know it's we don't know exactly what causes it yet but it's not your fault and um, and it's not just in your head. Yes, it's not in your head. This it's is just physical... not something that you're making up. But yeah, this is a real yeah. thing. Yeah, hundred percent. Just because we don't know about it yet, and we don't have all the language and the research around it yet, doesn't mean that it's not real. You know, it's just that energy and resources haven't been put into it. Yeah, and so we need to put it in there to give a name to it and all of that. But. It's not in your head. One of the pot- and so much of this is told. You know, we're we're always told that things are in our head or we're making it up, and that kind of stuff always pisses me off. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, because it's not it's not right. Like one of the participants told me she was telling me all about how she was going through postnatal depression at the time and getting counselling when she got um, aversion, and the person that was counselling her said to her, "How do you know that this isn't just postnatal depression?" And she said, because mm. it's only when I'm breastfeeding my toddler and then it stops. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I don't feel that all the time. It's specifically when I'm breastfeeding my toddler and then it stops. Whereas the depression was all day, every day. So, yeah. Yeah, we know. We know the difference. We know what's going on with ourselves. And you know, too, what's going on with you. And, you know, don't let people tell you that it's, that it's not, a, not real. Yeah. So this has been such a good conversation. Thank you so much. When, when, uh, so I've asked you questions and we've kind of, you know, I've asked you as many questions as, 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 you know, my personal experience or whatever can go, but is there anything that I missed? Like, is there anything, you know, from doing the research and from, you know, talking to so many people, are you starting to hear things? Are you starting to learn things that maybe, you know, we're kind of new to the conversation or does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> Did that question make any sense yeah, at all? No, totally. It totally made <laughs> sense. I'm just trying to think. Um, I knew you were going to ask me that actually, because I have listened to your podcast Did before you? and you do that. You do at the end. You have, I do. <laughs> you have a great way of saying to people, what would you just say if, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I think just, well, then it always makes me feel good when they stumble a little because I'm like, oh, well, I really <laughs> yeah, did ask everything. Yeah, yeah, nailed it. <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah, no, really. Um, just what I was saying before, just that, um, just that, you know, if I could like just speak directly to people that are experiencing aversion right now, just to know that it's just not your fault and you can find a way out of it that is going to be okay. You can find a way out that'll be okay for you. It'll be okay for your little one. Um, There are ways of navigating your way through it and you feel like you're in this tunnel with no end, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. You just might not be able to see it right now. But just, you know, hang in there, hang in there because like all really difficult things, this too shall pass and you will get out the other side of it. And um, yeah, that's, 
that's pretty much all I would say. (laughs) That's fantastic. And everything that we talked about and referenced in this episode, you can find in the show notes at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com. So I know we talked a lot about a lot about a lot of things and it's like, well, what about the group and what about the survey? I'm in Australia. <laughs> you know, just go to the show notes and you can find all of that right there, linked right there. You can and you can um, you know, you can find it all. We won't leave you hanging. Well, Melissa, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day. Um it was so cool it's to been chat really with you, Abby. I've been a fan forever, so <laughs> well, and and please come back and let us know, you know, as you're unfolding all this research and all the things that you find, we would love to be, you know, on the cutting edge of that. Yeah, We'd cool. love to be the first ones to know. <laughs> yeah, breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you, Abby.